Hello, and welcome to Words on Film, the spoken word podcast dedicated to moving pictures. I'm Dan Burke, your host and movie critic, and I'm here to tell you exactly what I think of some of the latest movies out right now. For this show, I have three brand new movies to review for you, sort of as usual. The only thing is that this weekend, there were a select few new movies to be released on streaming. The first movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is actually Netflix's only original film to come out this weekend. I expected them to come out with at least three of them, but it was just this one this weekend. I think maybe there's something bigger coming out next weekend, but I'll tell you that at the end of the show. The first movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is I Care A Lot. This is a movie starring Rosamund Pike and Peter Dinklage, and it is directed and written by Jay Blakeson. I'll tell you a little bit more about Jay Blakeson's repertoire in just a minute, but this is a movie about a crooked legal guardian who drains the savings of her elderly wards, who meets her match when a woman she tries to swindle turns out to be more than she first appears. I'll tell you a little bit about what she first appears to be in just a moment, but let me tell you a little bit about the director and the writer. The director and the writer is Jay Blakeson, and he is a relatively young uh, writer and director. His previous directing credits before this movie include his feature film debut from 2009 called The Disappearance of Alice Creed. And I have not seen this movie, but I have seen the poster. I probably, back in 2009, was at a video rental store, Remember those? <laughs> in 2009, they were still prevalent, but Netflix was creeping in along as along with other uh, streaming platforms like Hulu. But I actually saw Jay Blakeson's first movie, which was The Fifth Wave, which came out in early 2016. It stars Chloe Grace Moretz, and it's a movie about a near apocalypse where four waves of increasingly deadly alien attacks have left most of the Earth in ruin. Cassie, Chloe Grace Moretz's character's um, character, is on the run, desperately trying to save her younger brother. And this was an okay movie, but I think that Jay Blakeson has more than made it up in the movie I Care A Lot, because you certainly do care a lot about some of the characters, and you most certainly hate some of the characters, particularly the main character played by Rosamund Pike, whose name is Marla Grayson. And she runs a retirement community, a for-profit retirement community, and she, along with her co-worker and lover, uh, uh, Fran, who's played by Aisa Gonzalez, who's, who's very pretty, by the way, basically scam wealthy retirees out of their life savings and their livelihood by convincing a judge, a, a seemingly well-intentioned judge by the name of Judge Lomax, played by Isaiah Whitlock Jr., that they are incapable of living on their own. And the retiree that Marla swindles more than, well, maybe not more than anyone, but certainly most prominently in this movie, is one by the name of Jennifer Peterson, who's played by Diane Wiest. And Jennifer Peterson is one of these women who is doing fine living on her own. She certain, she's widowed and she owns a big house, but that just makes her prey for Marla Grayson. And the parts where 
the two of them, Fran and Marla, force Jennifer Peterson out of her home and then start to sell her house and also break into her bank accounts and her safety deposit boxes and basically exploit her for her earnings makes me want to jump into the movie, take Rosamund Pike and throw her off the Empire State Building. But I got to give Rosamund Pike a lot of credit. She is very good at playing someone who's bad. And Rosamund Pike is probably best known to modern day movie audiences for playing the prevalent role of Amy Dunn in the 2014 thriller Gone Girl. And she was also technically the villain of that film as well, but she was a more identifiable villain. Yes, she framed her husband for her murder, at least at first. And yes, she was very duplicitous and conniving in her ways. But at the same time, her husband in the movie, who's played by Ben Affleck, is a tool. So even though she's the villain, you can certainly identify with her. In this movie, I think she's a lot more deplorable and despicable a villain. I hated her in this movie probably as much as I hated Leo Fitzpatrick in the movie Kids or Kevin Bacon in the movie Sleepers. And by that, I mean, I don't hate the actors themselves. If anything, I just admire them for doing a good job playing somebody who is as deplorable as they are. With that being said, if I had a magic movie ticket like the kid in Last Action Hero, I would jump into this movie and brutally murder these people. And that's exactly how I felt about Rosamund Pike. But as it turns out, Diane Weiss's character, whose name is Jennifer Peterson, actually has a son whose name is Roman Lunyoff, who's played by Peter Dinklage. And Roman Lunyoff is a well-connected man who is very calculating. And by well-connected, I mean he has several underworld connections. And even though I probably shouldn't be rooting for Peter Dinklage in this movie, A, Peter Dinklage is awesome. B, even though I stand a good two feet taller than Peter Dinklage, I wouldn't mess with him. And C, once he finds out what Rosamund Pike's character does to his mother, a great war ensues where you find yourself rooting for Peter Dinklage. So, I Care A Lot is a movie that, in the first 30 minutes, definitely make you feel kind of unclean as you're watching Rosamund Pike take advantage of several... Uh, senior citizens simply to line her own pockets and a person that dies in her care, even though she's not abusing physically these senior citizens, that would be even more deplorable, but it's something that does happen in real life. It, It really is appalling, but it happens. But even though she's not doing that, she is holding people in a padded cell, figuratively speaking, against their will. And that's probably even more deplorable, especially considering that none of these people want to go or even are allowed to exit this prison without bars on the windows. And this movie does certainly uh, reel you in. Once Peter Dinklage starts to exact his revenge on Fran and Marla... The movie does get very juicy. You kind of feel a little bad for rooting for such a guy with all his violent means. But at the same time, I Care A Lot is a very fun watch. And I think this is certainly a movie that could be considered a breakthrough for Jay Blakeson. This is only his third feature film. It's already a huge improvement from his previous 
uh, feature film effort, The Fifth Wave. And I, th- I thought that The Fifth Wave was relatively decent, but it did kind of border The Hunger Games. It felt kind of like a Hunger Games wannabe. This movie, I Care A Lot, is an adult film. It is very juicy. Rosamund Pike and Peter Dinklage turn in amazing performances. And not to mention, Diane Wiest, the two-time Oscar winner, also turns in, as you might expect, an amazing supporting performance here as well with a woman you almost feel instantly bad for once Marla Grayson comes into her life. So I Care A Lot is a movie that I thoroughly enjoyed. It runs at one hour, 58 minutes, and it, and it felt like it went by very quickly. In fact, it being streaming, there were times where I had to stop and take a break to do other things. But as I was doing those other things, I was immediately thinking to myself, I got to get back to this movie and see what happens. And that is the sign of a great movie. I Care A Lot gets my rating of a knockout. It is a movie about very, very deplorable characters who do very appalling things. But Rosamund Pike, Peter Dinklage, Diane Wiest, Aisa Gonzalez, and several other actors in this film do a bang-up job. And it is a movie that almost doesn't feel long enough, even though it is a decent length, perhaps longer than average for a movie, particularly one you'd find on Netflix. But I enjoyed I Care A Lot a lot. Back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. The next movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is Nomadland. N-O-M-A-D-L-A-N-D. It is literally about a nomad who, after losing everything in the Great Recession, uh, circa 2008-2009, a woman, played by Frances McDormand, embarks on a journey through the American West, living as a van-dwelling, modern-day nomad. This film stars Frances McDormand, who takes up the majority of the film, but she's not the only actor in this movie. It's directed by Chloe Zhao, who, before directing Nomadland, also directed such films as Songs My Brothers Taught Me from 2015 and The Rider from 2017. The Rider is a film I actually haven't seen, but I remember it being... um, nominated for various awards, including the Spirit Awards. That was a film that starred uh, Brady John Drew, and it is a, a film I haven't seen, but I think very much like the director of I Care A Lot, who I previously covered, this could be considered Chloe Zhao's breakthrough directorial effort, even though it's her third feature-length film. But man... What a subject and what a cast. Nomadland is actually based on a 2017 nonfiction book that's called Nomadland, Surviving America in the 21st Century, which was written by Jessica Bruder. And even though this film fictionalizes that book by Jessica Bruder, because Frances McDormand does not play 
uh, Jessica Bruder. She plays a woman by the name of Fern, who is loosely based on Jessica Bruder. It's still a really good examination about what it's like to not exactly have a home in modern-day America. The protagonist of this film, Fern, who's played by Frances McDormand, even tells people who know her personally that she's not homeless, she's houseless. And it is kind of interesting to see somebody who's living another kind of American dream that's not buying a three-bedroom, two-bath house, having a white picket fence, and having 3.2 children. The American dream really means different things to different Americans. There are some people in this world who live on the beach in a van and go out surfing every day, and they take showers by having a gym membership and just going in there and taking as many showers as they need. And I think that even though Frances McDormand's character is going through the American West, going through states west of the Mississippi River like Nevada, South Dakota, and several other states like that, and seeing all the um, land that a lot of people forget in being in them being flyover states. I think she is living so, somewhat of her American dream. Now, how does she make a living? This is actually kind of interesting. She moves around from place to place, and particularly around the last quarter of the year, she actually takes a temporary seasonal job working in an Amazon warehouse. And I'm actually very amazed that Amazon allowed this movie to film in their warehouses. Granted, it's not a documentary, but but even still, the fact that Amazon put their name in this film and it's not an Amazon Prime original, that really uh, says something. And she also takes some temporary jobs here and there as well and befriends several people who are nomads like her, including a guy by the name of Dave, who's played by veteran actor David uh, Strathairn, who you think for a moment there is going to be Francis McDormand's love interest, but uh, it's not exactly uh, set in stone. But th- there is a lot to love about Nomadland. I think certainly a lot of the panoramic views, which were filmed on location, are characters in and of themselves. And even though Francis McDormand's character doesn't have a dog, this did actually remind me of a book that a nonfiction book that John Steinbeck wrote later in his career called Travels with Charlie in Search of America. Unlike his most well-known books like The Grapes of Wrath of Mice and Men and East of Eden, Travels with Charlie was a nonfiction book which was entirely from his perspective. But a lot of the similar themes about finding yourself in some of these flyover states which people who fly from New York to California probably wouldn't even think to uh, come visit, is certainly a a very enlightening one. And even though this movie does have some slow parts, it is a really fascinating look at people who, again, don't live with indoor plumbing. And it also takes some very, shall we say bold looks at some of the mundane aspects of 
living on the road in a mobile vehicle, maybe not an RV, but something that's a little bit uh, more primitive than an RV. <laughs> like how does one feed themselves or relieve themselves? Well, there are scenes like that involving a bucket and you see um, <laughs> Francis McDormand doing some very brave things on camera, but not necessarily things that you would want to see anybody do on camera. But again, it's just sort of everyday living with oneself. And Nomadland, of course, has some slow moments here and there. But I do like how it embraces some of the slower parts and the less glamorous parts of living on the road, as well as showing that even after the Great Recession ended, there are still people out there who were burned by the Great Recession who may not necessarily want to return to their previous life. I think Francis McDormand turns in another great performance in this movie that, that goes along with a lot of her best performances to date, including her Academy Award-winning performances in movies such as Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, and of course, her second um, Oscar nomination that was also a win in Fargo, where she played uh, Marge Gunderson. And Fargo is, of course, an amazing film. It's one that I didn't really like at first, but as I've seen it again and again, it has grown on me. And I think that Nomadland is one of those films which to which I will give a knockout. And it is also one of those films that some people may not like because of its slow pace here and there, but it's a very honest film, and it's one that will eventually grow on you. It didn't take long to grow on me, even though some parts left me a little bit bored, but I'm not taking this away from this movie. It is a knockout in my book. Francis McDormand does an amazing job playing this fictional sort of um, doppelganger of Jessica Bruder. And Chloe Zhao does an amazing job writing the, uh, excuse me, directing this film and also adapting it into a film. So Nomadland, which is a Hulu original, by the way, is definitely worth a look. back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. The next movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is Flora and Ulysses. This is a Disney Plus original movie, and it's been a couple of weeks since Disney Plus uh, released an original film, but this is not the first, and it is certainly not the last. It's a movie that came out on streaming on February 19th, 2021, and simply put, is it is the adventures of a young girl and a squirrel who she finds has superpowers. It's a little bit of a hokey premise, but I think that the actors in this film make it work. Flora, the titular girl, is played by Matilda Lawler, who I don't think has very much acting experience before this, but she has enough to pass as a credible actress in a Disney film. 
Before she was in Flora and Ulysses, she was on an episode of the TV series Evil. She was also in a movie called The Block Island Sound, and this is her second feature-length film. She was also in a short film called Good Grief, but this is my very first time seeing her in a film or seeing her in anything. I don't watch a ton of TV, but yeah, I'll just say this is my first time seeing her in a film. It's probably the first time you'll see her in a film as well. So she plays a girl who's a self-described cynic, but despite being a cynic, she's also a huge fan of comic books. She also lives with her mother, who's a romance novelist, whose name is Phyllis Buckman, who's played by Allison Hannigan, who has, has carved out a pretty good living for herself as a romance novelist. But even though she's played by Allison Hannigan, one of the romance novels she didn't write was one about band camp. That would have been hilarious if that was in her repertoire in the film, but unfortunately it wasn't. But that would have been a wink and a nod to those who remember Allison Hannigan from the American Pie films. She was married to a guy by the name of George Buckman, who's played by Ben Schwartz, but the two of them are separated because of financial difficulties. George Buckman works at a store that's very much like Office Depot or Staples, but his ambition was to become a comic book writer, and he developed a fictional comic book character who actually serves as an inspiration for Flora, but unfortunately could not get that comic book published. And seeing as this is a Disney Plus original film and Disney owns Marvel, there are times where Flora mentions a number of Marvel Comics characters, and thanks to Disney, this film probably didn't have to pay a dime to mention them. Although, they did mention Wolverine, and even though Disney owns Marvel Comics, they don't own the movie rights yet, at least as far as I know, to uh, X-Men. <laughs> but I, I have a feeling that, A, Disney could afford to utilize... <laughs> Wolverine's name for at least a couple of seconds and B <laughs> it's only a matter of time before Disney acquires all the rights to all the Marvel comic characters. It's eventually going to happen. But anyway, how does Ulysses play into this um, movie? Well, Ulysses is a squirrel who Flora eventually finds has superpowers. What kind of superpowers? The movie takes kind of a while to show, but Flora names this unique squirrel Ulysses after an automatic uh, vacuum that sucks the squirrel up and goes haywire outdoors because the squirrel actually survives being uh, sucked in by this, by this vacuum, partly because Flora is actually able to administer CPR to a squirrel, which is pretty ridiculous, but it fits in pretty well as in terms of the tone of this film. Uh, I guess she kind of comes to the conclusion that Ulysses, the squirrel, is um, heroic. And the movie eventually takes a while to get to this part, but the movie finds that she is not wrong as... Ulysses can do things like fly and also hold up heavy objects. And I, I really wish that this movie had developed more of Ulysses skills and because everyone that he did from 
surviving being sucked into a vacuum cleaner to holding somebody up by one arm to prevent them from falling to actually flying. And there are flying squirrels, but this squirrel is one that you'd find in a, in a, in a park, not one you'd necessarily find in the wilderness that, that flies that is. But I I do kind of wish there'd been a bit more consistency with the superpowers that Ulysses has. And rather than this girl, Flora, assuming that Ulysses is a a superhero and ended up being right. I I wish it could have, she could have come more to that conclusion based on other evidence besides being sucked into a vacuum cleaner. So how did Ulysses get their name? Well, I did say that Ulysses was the name of the brand of vacuum cleaner that sucked up the Uh, titular squirrel, but Ulysses is the Latin name of the Greek hero Odysseus, who is not a superhero, but he is the king of Ithaca and the hero of Homer's epic poem, The Odyssey. So when Homer wrote about Odysseus or Ulysses, he didn't write him as a superhero, but certainly somebody who was larger than life in a lot of aspects, but not somebody who was definitely heroic, but not immortal. But I still got behind this film to a certain degree. I thought it was adequate. And there were certainly actors in this film who were, who I've seen in other films and TV shows who are very funny. For instance, there is a villainous, uh, animal control officer in this film, whose name is Miller, who's played by Danny Pudi. And I know Danny Pudi as playing Abed on the TV show Community, which has become a cult favorite. There are also appearances by other funny actors like Kate McCucci, Bobby Moynihan, and Janine Garofalo, the latter of whom we haven't seen in quite some time. But there wasn't very much in this film that really made me laugh. I do think that kids would particularly enjoy it. And I do think it is actually maybe not a specifically intentioned, but it does implicitly serve as a tribute to some 70s movies that Disney did, which was in between the their comeback with the Disney Renaissance and Walt Disney dying. And they did a bunch of these movies about these live action films about animals who were larger than life. And I'm talking about movies like that darn cat or Gus, the latter of which is about a, a donkey that kicks field goals. And it, it, it's very reminiscent of that. I don't know if the director, Lena Khan, made this film as a throwback to some of those uh, dispo- well, a little more disposable Disney films, but it does certainly feel like that. But I did think that the Ulysses squirrel, which is not a real squirrel, it's actually CGI animated, is animated really well. And say what you will about Disney and their over-reliance on CGI in certain live-action films. Of course, I'm talking about the unnecessary live-action remake of The Lion King. And even though I thought that movie was bad because it had zero originality to it, it does technically count as the highest-grossing animated film of all time. Shame on you people for actually paying money to see it, but I, I digress. But my point is that the, the animators at Disney can do realistic looking CGI animation very well. 
And even though there are times where you could tell that the squirrel Ulysses is CGI animated, I did think he was animated particularly well. There is a villainous cat who lives at the apartment building that Flora's father does. And I didn't think that that cat was, was as well animated. I thought it looked a little too cartoonish, but maybe that was the idea. The only part I laughed at during the scene was when Danny Pudi's character actually captures the cat and brings it into the pound, but then he kind of taunts him by, by sticking his finger in the cat's cage and then the cat bites him. I've that part. I actually laughed at, but that was one of the few parts at which I laughed, but I'm not going to rip too much on Flora and Ulysses. It was a decent Disney film, but not one of Disney's better films. And I think the movie could have been improved if it had, had, if it had inserted more gags into it, if it had developed a bit more of the other traits of some of the human characters, like for instance, Flora being a cynic. I didn't think that was particularly necessary because she seemed to have some belief in things that cynics don't tend to believe in. For instance, would you ever meet a cynic who would think that a squirrel would have superhuman powers? I don't, I wouldn't think so. So I think that part could have been dropped. Also, there should have been a lot more consistency with what Ulysses could do as a character, but Flora and Ulysses gets my rating of a marginal checkout. I think it could have been funnier. I think it could have been more inspired in terms of its ties to comic book characters, but I did think that the actors in the film, particularly Matilda Lawler, Alison Hannigan, Ben Schwartz, and also Matilda Lawler's character's blind friend, whose name is William, who's played by a young actor by the name of Benjamin Evan Ainsworth. I thought they did solid acting jobs. I just thought the story could have been stronger and the characters could have been better developed. Not to mention that some of the gags, the on-screen gags, could have been funnier. But it's decent. I think kids are going to like it. And I'm not, I, don't, I certainly don't want to be one of those critics who takes anything away from a, a film that kids could potentially like. I did think it was a valiant effort, but I do actually think that a sequel, maybe one explaining how Ulysses got the superpowers that he did, and it better not have been through a vacuum cleaner that accidentally sucked him up. I think that would be a film that might be worth watching and has the potential to be better than the original.
Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. And now that I've reviewed all the films I have to review for you for this show, it's now time for me to get into a segment where I go through a list of the th- the films and maybe a little bit of the, the series, but primarily the films that will be premiering on several major streaming platforms. I always start with Netflix because Netflix... A, is the first streaming platform to which I subscribed, and B, it churns out many of the uh, most original films on their platform. And actually, there was one film that's premiering today, or excuse me, is premiering on Saturday, February 20th, and this one is called Classmates Minus. I do not know why Netflix held off on releasing this film on a Saturday as opposed to a Friday, especially considering that on Friday, the movie I Care A Lot was its only original film that it debuted. But Classmates Minus is a film that I believe comes out of China. It's directed by Hsin uh, Yao Huang, and I hope I pronounced that name right, and he is a Taiwanese uh, director. So, it yeah, he is Chinese, but more the Republic of China, not the People's Republic of China. But anyway, uh, this movie, Classmates Minus, is a story about four high school buddies, a director, a temp worker, an insurance salesman, and a paper craftsman who grapple with unfulfilled dreams amid middle age anew. That sounds like a very interesting film. I, I think the four guys in this film look like they're in their mid to late thirties. And I could certainly relate to their dilemmas. I assume the director is a film director, but I don't have any information about who plays what, but even if I did, you definitely wouldn't recognize many of the names. I know I certainly don't, but classmates minus, even though it came out on a day where I record this podcast, I'm still going to see it. And I will let you know what I think on next week's show, because The premise of this film sounds absolutely fascinating. I just wish that Netflix had premiered it on Friday, February 19th, as opposed to Saturday, February 20th, where they seldom premiere anything. But what can I say? Netflix is Netflix, and I do not know exactly how they operate. On Sunday, February 21st, there aren't going to be any original films that are going to be premiering on Netflix. However, The Conjuring and The Conjuring 2 from 2013 and 2016 are going to be uh, making an appearance on Netflix. The Conjuring is a movie that starred Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga. It's based on a true story about paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren, who work to help a family terrorized by a dark presence in their farmhouse. Now, I hear that amongst the horror films that have been released in the 21st century so far... The Conjuring is one of the scariest. I have not actually seen The Conjuring. I've seen several of its spinoffs, including but not limited to Annabelle, The Nun, and The Curse of uh, La Llorona. And these films suck. They really do. The Annabelle films are technically based on a true story about a demented doll, but unlike the horrifying doll that you see in that movie, the real Annabelle doll is a Raggedy Ann doll. And I've seen pictures of it. It doesn't look scary. 
Now, I'm not saying it's not possessed by a demon. Maybe it is. But, again, that is The Conjuring just throwing you for a loop. But I think The Conjuring is one of those films very much like Paranormal Activity and uh, some other uh, uh, notable horror films that came out in the uh, in this uh, century, the 21st century. It got a lot of praise from critics. It was a big box office hit, and people legitimately found it scary. And because of that, movie studios did what they usually do with great horror films, is that they just pump out sequel after sequel. So instead of becoming a relatively scary horror film, it becomes a commodity. It happens with every horror film where they make four or five sequels to it. The Exorcist, Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, you name it. And it it, it really um, is a shame that it does this. But The Conjuring, I haven't actually seen, but I will see it. I just won't review it for you on this show. But I'm just giving you my ranting and my raving about how Hollywood ruins legitimately scary movies with unnecessary sequels. But I will move on. On Tuesday, February 23rd, there is a comedy special by Brian Regan. It's not his first Netflix comedy special, but it's called On the Rocks. That is something I will see because Brian Regan is the funniest clean comic who is working today. I've I've been um, noticing Brian Regan for the last 20 years, his stand-up comedy, that is. He is funny. But I'm not going to be reviewing it on this show because stand-up comedy specials are just that. It's just a couple of cameras on a stage with a guy or a woman who have a bar stool and a microphone, and they spurt out jokes. The jokes are either funny or they're not. So that's the reason I don't do um, I, I don't review stand-up comedy specials because it's either funny or it isn't, and there's really not much else to say about it. However, also on Tuesday, February 23rd, there is a documentary that's premiering about Pele. And this looks like a very fascinating documentary because Pele is a very fascinating figure. Pele, for those of you who don't know, was a huge football star. And by football, I mean soccer. He had a meteoric rise from the slums of San Paulo to leading Brazil to its first World Cup victory at the age of 17, and this is chronicled in this documentary. There was a feature film made about Pele that starred um, Vincent D'Onofrio. Obviously, he didn't play Pele because Pele is black, but it also stars Rodrigo Santoro, and the guy who played Pele is a guy named Kevin DePaula. And that actually is kind of ironic that Pele grew up in San Paula, uh, Sao Paula, Brazil. And the guy who plays him in the 2017 film is Kevin DePaula. But that's not the film I'm going to be reviewing for you. It's a documentary that's just called Pele because when you have an athlete who has as recognizable a monochromatic um, name... Chromatic, uh, a one-word name like Pele, he really doesn't need any more of an introduction. So Pele is a documentary that I will see, and I will review it for you on next week's show. And on Wednesday, February 21st, 
excuse me, 20, on Wednesday, February 24th, there are a few series that are going to be premiering, but no movies. So I'm just going to list to you what series are going to be appearing on Netflix. There are going to be two series premieres, i.e. first seasons. One is called Canine Intervention, and the other is called Ginny and Georgia. And there is also season two that's going to be premiering of two-sentence horror stories. So if you're interested in checking out those series, there they are. They're going to be on Netflix on Wednesday, February 24th. But I'm going to move on because they are not movies, so I won't be seeing them. Unlikely. On Thursday, February 25th, there's going to be a series that's going to be premiering on Netflix that's, that's called High Rise Invasion which sounds like the name of a great movie or a great name of a movie. Maybe not necessarily the name of a great movie, but certainly as a promise. So I kind of feel bad that that's not a movie, but there is one film that's going to be premiering on Netflix that is a Netflix original and is called G's and Ann. G's is spelled G-E-E-Z. I don't know who would have that name, but uh, I don't know what that would be short for. But G's and Ann is a romantic comedy, which is a foreign film that's directed by Rizki Balki. And I never thought I'd actually find somebody with the last name Balki, but there you go. I believe it is a Filipina film and it is about two people, uh, a woman named Anne and a guy named Jeez, who first meet at an alumni event. The first meeting was very memorable for the dreamer Anne and the mysterious G's. And that is all the synopsis is going to tell me. The movie stars Junior Roberts, which sounds like an Anglican name, but the guy who's acting in it is definitely not Anglican. And the woman is named Hangini, H-A-N-G-G-I-N-I. And nobody's telling me about their nationality, but this is actually Hangini's second film, total. So that's very impressive that she's only had two credits to her name and this is her first starring role. That does not happen very often, but Jesus and Anne looks like an intriguing premise. I definitely want to know what Jesus' secret is because that might explain the somewhat funny name. And I'm saying that as an American, but <laughs> bear with me here. I will review Jesus and Anne and I will let you know what I think about it on next week's show. On Friday, February 26th, there are three Netflix original films that are going to be premiering. There are actually three other films that are going to be making an appearance on Netflix that are not Netflix originals, and I'll just list those off first. The first one is Captain Fantastic, and Captain Fantastic sounds like a very original film, or it sounds like one I might have seen. Actually, it is one I've seen. It's one that stars Viggo Mortensen. And Viggo Mortensen was actually nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actor for this very odd film. It's about a single father who is raising his six kids uh, alone, not only that, but also in a very nomadic existence. There's another film, and, and, and by the way, Captain Fantastic is a, an excellent film. One of my favorite films of 2016, and certainly one that's very unique and original, and Viggo Mortensen does an amazing job in the film. The other movie that's coming out that's not a Netflix original is one that's called No Escape, and that came out in 2015, and that stars Lake Bell and Pierce Brosnan. Oh, actually, I have seen this one. 
This was directed by John Eric Dowdle, who also wrote the screenplay. And the movie he did before this was one of those found footage films that was called As Above, So Below. And that film was flat out awful. No Escape, by the way, stars Owen Wilson in the, uh, the lead. Lake Bell plays his wife and Pierce Brosnan plays uh, a spy, but not a spy like James Bond. But this is about an American family who go to an undisclosed third world country in Southeast Asia, which borders Vietnam, but the, but the country is never specified. And they go there in the middle of a coup. And the people who are running this revolution are killing anyone and everyone in sight simply because they can. They're not overthrowing the government. If they had made this into a found footage movie, I would have been livid. But fortunately, they didn't. So No Escape is a film that definitely is worth watching. It is a huge, huge improvement over As Above, So Below. And I like it when directors go from directing a terrible movie to directing a really good film. I don't, you know, laugh at people who make a bad film. I like to think as a film critic that I encourage people to make better films and discourage people from making bad movies. So No Escape was a remarkable improvement over As Above, So Below, and it's one that I recommend you see. I'm not going to review it for you for next week because I've already reviewed it on a show that I did years ago. It's not a show that's on a podcast, unfortunately, but I did review it, and I gave you my brief synopsis of it right there. But if you want to check it out, it's premiering on Netflix on Friday, February 26th. Another film that is making an appearance on Netflix on Friday, February 26th, is a romantic comedy that's called Our Idiot Brother. And this one is actually pretty good, too. I think it got overshadowed by a lot of other comedies that came out in 2011. And it was a modest box office hit, but it's a movie that has... A lot of really good comic actors in it. Paul Rudd stars as the titular idiot brother. His name is Ned. And he gets arrested for doing something really, really stupid. But he has three sisters who are played by Elizabeth Banks, Zoe Deschanel, and Emily Mortimer. And the movie kind of chronicles how he uh, adapts to life after being in prison. And it is a charming film. It's not what I'm going to review for you because it's already a little too old for me. (laughs) Yeah, it came out 10 years ago. It's too old for me. But yeah, that's how I am right now. A film that came out a month ago is too old for me. But (laughs) that's only because I see three new films a week. But if you want to check out Our Idiot Brother, it will be appearing on Netflix on Friday, February 26th. to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. The first original Netflix film that will be premiering on Friday, February 26th, is a movie that's called Bigfoot Family. This is a movie that sounds like an animated film, or sounds like it could be an animated film, but I don't know if it's necessarily a movie about Sasquatch and his family. Lo and behold, it is an animated film, and it's a follow-up to the film Son of Bigfoot, where um, 
A father uses his new fame to fight against an Alaska oil company, but when he disappears, the son, the mother, a raccoon, and a bear head north to rescue him. The voice actors in this film are largely unknown. I, I'm guessing this is a French-Canadian animated film, but it does look like it's fun. I can't guarantee whether it'll be a great film or not. I can never guarantee that. But Bigfoot Family is a film that I will see, and I will review it for you next week. Another, another movie that's going to be premiering on Netflix is one that's called Caught by a Wave. And I don't know very much about this film, but I'm about to find out right now. This looks like another foreign film because its original title is Suya Stessa Onda, which means that it's probably a Spanish um, film. But it is a summer adventure under the Sicilian sun, excuse me, that's Italian, not Spanish, that soon becomes a painful love story. And that is all the synopsis is telling me. Will I review this movie for you? I can't guarantee it. I will probably place Bigfoot Family over Caught by a Wave, but it sounds like an intriguing premise, so I might check it out. And the last film that's going to be premiering on Friday, February 26th on Netflix is one that's called Crazy About Her. And Crazy About Her is another foreign film. They're really churning out the foreign films here. And its original title is Loco Por Ella. And this, I can guarantee you, is a Spanish film. I don't know from what country particularly. The director is named uh, Dani de la Orden, and his previous films have included Barcelona Christmas Night and Barcelona Summer Night. So I assume that he is a director from Spain, not any other Spanish-speaking country. But anyway... This movie, Crazy About Her, details a guy named Audrey and a woman named Carla who, after a magical night together, Audrey voluntarily turns himself into the psychiatric institution where Carla lives. So the crazy about her part is, I guess, a bit politically incorrect, but it is uh, quite literal in this film. Sounds like an interesting film. I think I would probably go more out of my way to see this film than I would the film I had previously mentioned, the Italian film Caught by a Wave. But Bigfoot Family and Crazy About Her are films I will most likely review for you next week. Now that I've gotten through all the Netflix films that are going to be premiering on the platform, now let me get into some Disney Plus content. And I got to say, when I was... Introducing to you last week in this segment, uh, Flora and Ulysses, I was a bit distracted by the fact that there's one series that premieres on Disney Plus or premiered on Disney Plus yesterday that made me really not want to see any movies this this week, or at least not today and this morning, where I usually watch movies. But I am so so psyched. Just taking a step away from movies for a second because The Muppet Show, the show that aired from 1976 to 1981 on CBS, is on Disney Plus for the very first time in its entirety, and I could not be happier! Oh my gosh! <laughs> I just had to get that out of the way because I am a huge Muppet fan. I own the first three seasons of The Muppet Show on DVD. 
The last season of The Muppet Show, uh, season three, came out in 2008. 13 years later, the Disney company, despite being perfectly able to afford it, has not released seasons four and five on DVD. And given the state of DVD sales, they might never release it. But I'm holding out hope that eventually they will release a full box set of The Muppet Show on DVD or Blu-ray. I will buy it on Blu-ray if they do release it, and I will be like a kid in a candy store. I will be in my footed pajamas in front of the TV eating a box of Fruit Loops and, yeah, basically being a kid again. I will look ridiculous at the age of 38 being like this, but I was kind of the same way when Pee-wee's Playhouse came out on Blu-ray. I was so psyched. Yeah, shows like that just make me really excited. But anyway, getting back to films that will be premiering on Disney+. Plus. It looks like, actually, there are no films that are going to be premiering on Friday, February 26th on Disney+. Plus. There are a few uh, series. Actually, there are several series that are going to be premiering, including but not limited to American Dragon, Jake Long, all the seasons. I guess that was a Disney Channel show. Car SOS Season 8, Disney Channel Games 2008, Disneyland Paris, Mickey Go Local Season 1, Myth A Frozen Tale, Akavango River of Dreams, Pair of Kings, all seasons, Roll It Back, season one, Secrets of Sulphur Springs, episodes one through five, and Shanghai Disney Resort Grand Opening Gala. So these sound a lot like specials. There's one that's called Myth of Frozen Tale that I don't know if it's a movie, but if it is a movie, it's not a Disney Plus original. So I'm probably not going to see that one. But let me see what's premiering on HBO Max. this coming week. Oh, there actually are a few uh, big films that are going to be making an appearance on uh, HBO Max. There's actually a Tom and Jerry movie that's part animated and part live action that co-stars Chloe Grace Moretz that was originally intended for release in theaters, but of course, because of COVID, it didn't come out in theaters. But this is actually a movie I think I will see. It's coming out on HBO Max on Friday, February 26th, Hopefully, and I do mean hopefully, it is better than the 1993 fully animated Tom and Jerry the movie, which did Tom and Jerry a disservice, and also, in the movie, Tom and Jerry talk. This is the 1993 film. I hope, and I pray, well, maybe not pray, I don't want to bring God into this, but I hope they don't make Tom and Jerry talk, or do something that will sell Tom and Jerry out to millennials. Tom and Jerry are much funnier when they don't talk, but Tom and Jerry is a film that I will see, and I will let you know exactly what I think on next week's show. Well, that's all the time I have for this episode of Words on Film. I always love talking about movies, and I hope you liked what you heard. If you did, please subscribe and rate the show and leave comments if you can. I would love to get your feedback, even if it's more criticism than praise. This has been Words on Film. I'm Dan Burke, and until my next episode, I'll see you at the movies.